0: Welcome back to Nightmare Fuel, everybody. I'm your host, James Creha. What a crazy time we are living in, huh? 2020 has definitely been a nightmare of a year. Today, we are happy to announce, though, that we are changing up our format. We are going weekly instead of at random times like we were currently doing. We're also going to be bringing you real stories of horror as opposed to just narrations, If you'd like us to bring back the narrations, however, though, just shoot us an email at NightmareFuelPod at gmail.com and let us know what you truly desire. Also, if you could pause for just a few seconds right now and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, that would help us so, so much, since we are new and reviews are how we get seen and found on Apple Podcasts. All right, you terror seekers, let's dive in. In 1927, America saw what still stands today as its worst school massacre. In a small Michigan town of just 300 people, an earthquake seemed to hit. Or that is how those living in Lansing, Michigan, just 10 miles away, felt it and described it. As people in Lansing rushed to the small town of Bath Township, it was revealed to everyone what really had just occurred. This is the story of the Bath School Disaster. Andrew Philip Kehoe was born in Tecumseh, Michigan in 1872, into a family of 13 children. After he graduated high school, Kehoe went on to study electrical engineering at Michigan State in Lansing. Upon graduating college, Kehoe moved on to St. Louis, where he worked as an electrician for a few years, before suffering a head injury in a fall. The injury placed him in a coma for several weeks. Upon his recovery and coming out of the coma, he was forced to move home to Michigan and into his father's farm. After the coma, Kehoe was never the same, and this is when the oddities and horrors began to occur. After Kiho's mother died, his father married a much younger woman with whom he conceived a daughter. On September 17, 1911, as Kiho's stepmother was attempting to light their stove, it exploded and set her on fire. Kiho, being the only one around, rushed to her aid and attempted to douse her in water. However, because the fire was oil-based, his action caused the flames to engulf her. You see, water is heavier than oil, so it sinks right through to the bottom, leaving the oil on top, still burning. The injuries his stepmother suffered proved to be fatal and she died the next day. Neighbors of his in Bath discussed later that they believed Kiho may have been responsible, that perhaps he purposely lit his stepmother on fire or did something to the stove to cause it to explode on her. In 1912, at the age of 40, Kehoe married Ellen Nellie Price. They would eventually move to their own farm in Bath, Michigan after seven years of marriage. Kehoe wore two personas as described by his neighbors. He was very dependable and would help out with favors for those close by. But he was also reported as being very impatient and downright cruel. He once shot a neighbor's dog that had wandered onto his property because its barking annoyed him. He even beat one of his horses to death because it wasn't performing up to his expectations. Despite this, Kehoe had a reputation for being very frugal. Which resulted in him being elected to the school board in 1924 as a trustee for three years and a treasurer for one. He argued strongly for lower taxes. Kehoe was difficult to work with. He'd often vote against everyone else, wanting his way and only his way. He would protest that he paid too much in taxes and wanted the valuation of his property reduced so he would pay less. In 1922, the Bath Township School tax was $12.26 on $1,000. The valuation of Kehoe's farm was $10,000. By 1926, the taxes had increased to $19.80, meaning Kehoe's tax went from $122 to $198. In June of 1926, Kehoe was alerted That foreclosure proceedings had begun on his property. As the sheriff delivered the foreclosure notice, it's reported that Kehoe muttered If it had not been for that $300 school tax, I might have paid off this mortgage. If I can't live in that house, then no one will. In April of 1926, the final domino would fall. Kehoe was running for town clerk, but was defeated in the election. This public rejection of him by the community was said to have struck the final chord and led to what Kehoe would ultimately do next. In April of 1927, Kehoe's neighbor, A. McMullen, said that he thought Kehoe was contemplating suicide He had given McMullen his horse and had cut all his wire fences and grapevines. It was later discovered he was preparing to bomb his own farm. Nellie, his wife, had become chronically ill with tuberculosis, for which there wasn't a cure. Her hospital stays may have also contributed to their debt. Kehoe had stopped making mortgage and insurance payments months earlier. Andrew Kehoe had free access to the school building during the summer of 1926. He began buying more than a ton of pyrotol, an explosive used by farmers for excavation. In November of 1926, he drove to Lansing and bought two boxes of dynamite from a sporting goods store. Dynamite was also used by farmers. Kehoe planned several small purchases of dynamite from different stores on different days, so as not to alert or cause concern with anyone. Kehoe also purchased a 30 caliber bolt-action Winchester rifle in December of 1926, according to the testimony of Lieutenant Lyle Morse of the Michigan State Police. Prior to May 18th, Kehoe loaded a bunch of metal debris into the back of his truck that was capable of producing shrapnel during an explosion. Ida Hall, who lived near the school, said that he saw activity around the building on different nights during May. He stated that early one morning just after midnight, he saw a man carrying objects inside. These events were mentioned to a relative, but... Never to the police. Nellie was discharged from Lansing St. Lawrence Hospital on May 16th. She was murdered by her husband sometime between then and the events of May 18th, two days later. Her body had been put into a wheelbarrow near the chicken coop. It was found in a heavily charred condition after the explosion of their farm. Kehoe had placed and wired homemade pyrotol firebombs in the house and throughout the farm buildings. Around 8.45 a.m. on May 18th, Kehoe detonated the firebombs in his house and farm buildings. Several neighbors rushed to the scene to search for survivors and salvage the furniture. As Kehoe drove off his property in his Ford truck, He stopped and yelled at the men fighting the fire that they should get to the school. And with that, Kehoe drove off. Classes at Bath Consolidated School began at 8.30 a.m. Kehoe had set an alarm clock in the basement of the North Wing to detonate the dynamite and pyrotol he had placed there at or around 8.45 a.m., Those who were heading to the Kehoe farm to help put out the blaze heard the explosion from the direction of the school and quickly U-turned back around and sped for the school. Upon arrival from rescuers and parents, they saw what resembled nothing short of a war zone. The initial explosion had killed 38 people, mostly children. The first grade teacher, Bernice Sterling, told the Associated Press that the explosion felt like an earthquake. The air was soon full of flying desks, books, and children. The children had been tossed in the air, and some even catapulted out of the building. In no time, more than 100 men and women had jumped into the rubble to begin moving debris, and searching for the children and anyone who might still be alive. The north wing of the school had collapsed. The roof was now touching the ground. There were five or six children stuck under the roof. A man volunteered to drive back to his farm to get a heavy-duty rope to help get the roof off of those children. As he was driving back, he drove right by Kehoe, who was heading to the school. He recounts that Kehoe gave a big, wide grin and waved as he passed him. Kehoe arrived a half hour or so after the first explosion. He saw the superintendent and waved for him to come over to his truck. According to Arthur Bernstein, Huck, the superintendent, had asked Kehoe to come help dig through the rubble, and when Kehoe didn't get out of his truck... Huck quickly made the comment, you know something about this, don't you? As he approached Kehoe and his truck. At that very moment, Kehoe fired into the truck bed, setting off the explosives. The blast immediately killed Kehoe and Huck, ripping their bodies completely apart. Nelson McFerrin, a retired farmer, And Cleo Clayton, an eight year old second grader, were also killed by the truck explosion. Clayton had survived the first blast from the North Wing, and as he stumbled out of the school, flying shrapnel from Kehoe's exploding truck struck and killed him. The flying debris from the truck hit cars parked a half block away, as well as injuring several others in the vicinity. The shrapnel mortally wounded the postmaster, Glenn Smith, who lost his leg and then died before he could reach the hospital. His leg had been completely blown off. A mother holding her child, who was standing a block away, had shrapnel sent straight through her eye and into her brain, leaving her with serious brain damage. Local physician J.A. Crum and his wife, who was a nurse turned the Bath Drugstore, which they owned, into a triage center. The dead bodies were taken to the town hall, which was used as a morgue. People from all over the area came to help, including 34 firefighters from the Lansing Fire Department, as well as Lansing Police. The Michigan Governor, Fred Green, arrived during the afternoon and assisted in the relief work, carting bricks away from the scene. The Lawrence Baking Company of Lansing sent pies and sandwiches to the rescuers to aid in their rescue attempts. During the search for survivors, an additional 500 pounds of dynamite was found, which had failed to detonate. It had been placed under the south wing of the school. The search was put on pause while police disarmed the bombs. There was an alarm clock tied into those two that was also set for 8.45 a.m., Investigators speculated that the first explosion may have caused a short circuit, thus saving those in the south wing of the school. Nellie Kehoe's remains were found on their farm the day after the disaster, a charred mess. Kehoe's two horses had also been burned to death, trapped inside the barn. Their carcasses were found with their legs bound together, preventing their escape. The Red Cross set up headquarters at the Crumb Drugstore and managed the donations sent for both medical expenses for those who survived, as well as the burial costs of the dead. In just a few weeks, over $5,000 had been raised through donations. That's equivalent to around $78,000 today. The disaster received nationwide coverage, sharing headlines with Charles Lindbergh's transatlantic flight. Kehoe was accurately characterized as a madman and psycho by every newspaper across the U.S. Letters from Italy and Italian schoolchildren found their way to Bath, Michigan, expressing sympathy. One Italian class wrote, We are praying to God to give the unfortunate mothers and fathers the strength to bear the great sorrow that has descended upon them. We are near to you in spirit. Kehoe's body was taken by one of his sisters, and it was buried in an unmarked grave in the pauper section of Mount Rest Cemetery in St. John's, Michigan. Kehoe's wife, Nellie, was buried in Lansing Cemetery under her maiden name. Over 100,000 vehicles are said to have passed through the small town of Bath during this trying time. Some Bath citizens showed displeasure for this show of support, claiming it wasn't needed during their time of grief, but most accepted it as a show of sympathy and support. The burials for the dead began two days after the disaster and lasted for three days until all the dead had been buried. The town in Kehoe's burned-down farm attracted curiosity seekers for some time after, The New York Times reported that people described Kehoe to have an ungovernable temper and that he seemed to have a mania for killing things. Neighbors testified that he had been wiring the buildings at his farm and that he was evasive about why he was doing such a thing. A jury was asked to determine if the school board or its employees were guilty of criminal negligence. The jury ended up exonerating the school board and its employees. It was also the jury's verdict that Kehoe acted alone and his plan was to blow up the school, murdering 43 people in total, including his wife Nellie. On August 22nd, three months after the bombing, fourth grader Beatrice Gibbs died following a surgery to remove a splinter from her hip. Beatrice had celebrated her 10th birthday the day before the bombing. The explosion broke both her legs and left arm. Her lacerations were so numerous that doctors had to construct a frame to hold her off of the hospital bed. Her death was the 45th and final death attributable to the Bath School disaster. It was and still is the most deadly attack ever on an American school. Richard Fritz, who lost his sister Marjorie in the explosion, died roughly one year later from myocarditis. Richard is not included on the list of victims, even though it's believed that his death had been directly related to an infection resulting from his injuries. On September 5th of 1927, school resumed in Bath, with most of the surviving students returning. Michigan's Senator James Cousins donated a personal check for $75,000 to the Bath Construction Fund. That is equivalent to over $1 million today. The damaged portion of the school was demolished and a new wing was erected with the funds that had been donated. During the reconstruction, dynamite was discovered three separate times. The Kehoe Farm was completely and totally plowed over to ensure no explosives were hidden in the ground, and was sold at auction to pay the mortgage. It is currently being used as a farm field and sits directly across the street from a Welcome to Bath sign. A memorial statue entitled "Girl with a Cat" was dedicated by artist Carlton Engel in 1928. It was paid for with pennies collected from Michigan schoolchildren and is meant to show the resilience of the human spirit. In 1975, James Cousins Memorial Park was developed and dedicated to the victims. At the center of the park stands the Bath Consolidated School's original cupola, which survived the disaster. In 1991, a Michigan State historical marker was installed at the park. And in 2002, a bronze plaque displaying the names of the victims was placed on a large stone at the entrance to the park. In September of 2014, a gravestone was added to the grave of Richard Fritz, whose death in 1928 was attributed to injuries from the explosion. Here are some chilling facts for you all. Kehoe's body was blown apart by his truck bomb, as mentioned. His intestines left hanging from the steering wheel of the mangled truck. Nellie's body was so badly charred and burned that investigators actually walked by the wheelbarrow multiple times before realizing there was a corpse in it. After the truck bomb, a woman in the crowd picked up what she thought was a stick. It was instead a human backbone. During the search, a sheriff saw the legs of a girl sticking out through the rubble. As he went to tug on her foot, it snapped off in his hand. One of two teachers killed was found holding two dead children in the rubble. Two children that had been taken to the temporary morgue set up in the town were later discovered to still be alive. 14% of the student body perished in the attack, and many more were injured, including two who lost limbs. In the spring of 1927, Kehoe was in danger of losing all that was important in his life. His wife was seriously ill. He was talking about selling his farm to pay off his mortgage and his school board term was expiring and he had just lost an election. In the end, he decided to take everything before everything was taken from him. With over 900 pounds of dynamite found beneath the school, it was very clear that Kehoe was planning to take the lives of over 200 children that day. The Bath School disaster claimed more lives than Sandy Hook and Columbine put together. Investigators found a wooden sign on Kehoe's farm property, one of the only things left standing. It was his last message to the world. It read, Criminals are made, not born. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We'll see you next time on Nightmare Fuel.